Hi, this is Fam Electric Ghost. Do we have box face phones online? Hi, yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, so you're uh, we're talking to you from Japan, right? Yeah, I am in Kagoshima, Japan. So it is the south, kind of in a rural area. Well, I actually was in Tokyo from 2004 to 2006 because I, uh, I have an IT job as my, uh, as my main gig. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, Tokyo is awesome. I'm actually yeah. going to head up there soon, like the end of March. Yeah, I used to live in Moto Azabu near uh, Rapongi. Oh, near Rapongi. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like a, a richer area. Yeah, well, I was an expat. I had a full package. You know, so. Yeah, but they have super deluxe in Rapongi. Oh yeah, it's nice. Um, <laughs> so, so like what we do, just to give everybody a, a heads up, we are Family Electric Ghost. We're an indie musician and producer. Specifically, we do electronic music, but we've been interviewing indie artists in multiple genres since 2018 on Anchor FM, which is a Spotify company. And we're on 11 different podcast platforms. We've got over 22,000 listens since 2018. And we have Box Face Bones on the line. So, yeah, we're going to talk to you about your music. And we have sent, I think we sent you the questions that we usually go through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to talk about all your music. And we're going to provide links to um, your link tree on the podcast. And um, and that includes your Spotify and, and all your other links, uh, your SoundCloud. Ah, yeah, well, wonderful. Thanks. So, so when did you first get into music? At, at what age? Hmm, I would say probably six years old. <laughs> um, my parents had this big collection of CDs and we had this big hunk of plastic CD player back at the time. And I was attracted to Pink Floyd's The Wall. Awesome. And yeah, yeah. And uh, I threw that on and probably got to Mother in that and i had a short attention span so that was about it there but i also had kids bop <laughs> like the og kids bop you know none of the numbers yet just yeah, kids yeah. bop and uh me and my little brother would put that on and dance around to that and we had like our own little dance and stuff and he he unfortunately passed but it kind of put me down the music path along with a uh, biomedical engineering path Oh, cool. Yeah, so you're you're a, you're a technology guy too. I'm more like finance and stuff, but um, that's cool. Um, I, I find there's a lot of people who are into technology that are creators, and they do. Oh yeah, yeah, they do art and stuff, and that's really like their true passion. But you know, it's hard to make it as an artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, there's like it's kind of twofold to that. Like you have um, you're working with technology, so naturally, music technology you're able to just kind of jump into it, but also like you're super stressed from engineering path in life that it's also a great breakaway from all of that. Oh yeah. I find that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in my fifties and I've been playing music since 17 and okay. uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm a big guy into uh, like electronic and analog. I'm, I'm a mm -hmm. like, modular analog guy. Um, yeah. So, my only synth is analog. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of grew up, you know, with like Jupiter 8s, you know, mini modes, oh, nice. that kind of stuff. You know, guys like Keith Emerson, you know, uh, yeah. Warhol from Funkadelic, you know, oh, uh, yeah. all, all, all the great, you know, yes, uh, you know, all the great, you know, uh, musicians, you know, Genesis, uh, you know, Sun Ra. Sun Ra actually was one of the first jazz bands to actually play a mode. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And the orchestra yeah. still plays in New York. Oh yeah, that stuff is awesome. Um, but but what's cool is I, I've been talking to musicians who are DJs and guys who don't touch modular at all or multiple different genres, you know, hip hop guys and different guys. But but I think what's cool today is there's a lot of resurgence in people, you know, trying to get back to the original electronic, um, which is analog, the original electronic. Oh music. yeah, definitely. Yeah, so well, you don't like look to the past to look to the future, right? Oh yeah, I mean because a lot of like. You know what people do that's experimental. I mean, the original experimental musicians—they were using like the the original RA Moog modulars. You know, they they didn't even have keyboards, and they were yeah, that... like analog sequencers. And it's kind of like what DJs do with Pro Tools and stuff—the alternative ways of of creating music. 
uh, you know, using the computer is somewhat similar to when people were using the original analog sequencers, you know, and it didn't even have keyboards. They were just playing around with controlled voltage and different, you know, paths and LFOs and all kinds of things you can do. But yeah, like the classic silver apples of the moon. Yeah, it's just like using a sample and hold circuit to kind of run through a random voltage. You can create rhythmic patterns that, you know, are, are, are harder to kind of come up with if you're trying to do it on a piano. Um, yeah, definitely. There's, there's stuff you can do that's really interesting. But um, so how, how long have you been working on music as, 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 um, as a musician where you had your own vision and you were going to write your own material? Kind of when did you decide that you were going to do that? Um. I would say probably 10 years. Um, Box space is actually like my third reincarnation and like my final solidified vision of myself as an artist. Um, but as soon as I had a guitar, I was messing around and just Ableton recording stuff with my crappy guitar rig. I mean, not guitar rig, uh, guitar hero microphone, just putting that up to my amp and recording stuff into audacity. And yeah, <laughs> Um, but it was in high school um, I made two albums um, around that time and then they were they were okay they started my whole path you know Mm -hmm. uh, just messing around and around college is when I officially came into my vision my vision I had one artist's name that I made um, that will not be said for the sake of uh, obscurity, <laughs> uh, but it was, it set what I wanted, but I didn't know how to do it yet. Yeah. yeah. And when I figured out how to do it, which was in 2015, I debuted Boxface with uh, my first record, Life is Fluid, which is like psych punk uh, take on war and escapism. <laughs> I had been playing with a band at the time. So I made an album where I did all the instruments based on how these musicians played. Mm-hmm. And so I limited myself to just kind of a simple setup, two guitars, uh, same distortion on both guitars, uh, a drum machine and a keyboard on the pipe organ setting run through distortion for the whole thing. And just picking that simplicity really made it easy to just kind of start carving my sound as an artist. That's cool. So who would you say are your influences or reference points if people are looking at your music and somebody says, what do you, who, who do you sound like or who are you inspired by? Um, I would say the act of living is my greatest reference point, like the human experience and my previous material. A lot of the times I like to feedback what I like in my work onto itself and create this optimal sound to translate my experience. I'm constantly like using my phone to record sounds of birds, mechanical equipment, rivers and wind. Um, and that's just a directly put part of my experience into my work. And I would say painters are actually a big part of my influence too. Um, Jackson Pollock, particularly. Um yeah, I treat my music as Jackson Pollock would treat a canvas, more or less. I yeah. collect my materials and then just throw them into my DAW. And <laughs> since I've been doing that for a while, it's just like trying to make something defined out of chaos. Um, but now that I'm starting to create more of a form, maybe it's more like Dolly. Um, wow. I also read a lot. Uh, I read about neuroscience, psychology, consciousness. And most recently I've read the Tibetan Book of the Dead or how it should actually be translated, The Great Liberation by Hearing in the Intermediate States. And I have a journal dedicated to these musical ideas. Um, when it comes to actual like musicians, musicians that inspire me, it's a lot of times music that really creates its own world, like this ambience that you're just sucked into. So a lot of stuff on Constellation Records, like Godspeed You Black Emperor, Fly Pan Am, Matana Roberts, Esmerine, Joni Boyd. Um, and then there's on the electronic side, more like Autecker. Well, nothing sounds like Autecker, despite many people trying to create that Autecker sound. Just Autecker's on its own path. And I'm always trying to be on my own path. 
and a lot of the more destructive music on like the sides of drone and noise like ian william craig and prurient were really formative to me around the middle of my career and i've kind of like built myself up from there yeah <laughs> yeah because i mean um i i've been a progressive guy you know bernie warrell rick waitman you know uh you know that type of thing that's where i come from but but what I always was um, informed by is like uh, Jimi Hendrix when you people asked him about Electric Ladyland, which was a like kind of very advanced album at the time. Oh, that, yeah. What he what he was doing, he said, was like a um, sound painting, and I kind of took that uh, concept in in the idea of like my expansive sound is like what you're saying is I I kind of think of it as layering sound like a painter layers like on their canvas. Um, yeah, definitely. And I do a kind of stream of consciousness recording, and I don't use a DAW. I use like a digital um, recorder. Um, okay. and so I use a Zoom R24, and I take the live feed from my analog synths, and then you know record in a, in a traditional old school technique of punch in, punch out, track by track, live playing on top of each other, kind of stream of consciousness. Um, which kind of is like I'm inspired by Sun Ra and stuff like that, and you know, kind of free jazz. And that's, that's nice. the way I've, I've been able to record for the last, that's, that's my style, is I, I don't like being constrained by the DAW. I understand how people can use it, but I like being able to be free to just do anything I want and not have any compression on my on my analog sense and stuff like that. But, um, oh, yeah, definitely. I, I would use a lot of DAW currently, and like I used the DAW quite a bit in my latest record, which is coming out sometime. It's working with record labels on when that when that date will be. It's a little up in the air, but um, like as soon as I finished, I I knew I it was time to kind of move away from it. So I'm thinking in the future I'm going to be doing a lot more like electroacoustic type recording. Like I'm going to buy just a number of different types of microphones of varying quality and try to record things from like all around the room and. I don't know. Work from yeah, there. Like, like <laughs> field, yeah, yeah. They're 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 like Zoom. They're field recorders. Like they're the famous like um yes on I think um close to the edge. They actually took a field recorder into a, the woods and recorded the sound of the woods. And a lot of progressive nice. bands back in the late sixties and seventies did stuff like that. You know, Pink Floyd used to do mm-hmm. field recordings and all kinds of you know strange recordings of the people like saying you know odd statements or just reporting you know what was going on in the city the, the sounds of the city or the sounds of the forest and that's like a progressive thing a lot of progressive bands you know did that kind of thing but i think it's really interesting to try to you know think of music in terms of cues or, and i take the idea of synesthesia oh, yeah. um, in my music all the time is that like you're kind of overwhelmed and you smell the sound and you 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 see the vibrations, you see the notes, you kind of have this overwhelming thing, and that's the whole idea of like electronic music should kind of move you into this zone where you're kind of you're you're experiencing uh, synesthesia, because what you can do with synthesizers is you can become any instrument or any sound that you want to, and so you're not really limited, you're kind of in an unlimited space, and you can kind of do whatever you want. And so I've always drawn to people who are trying to push things. Mm-hmm. So, so I like I like what you're doing with your music. It's really interesting. Um, so, have you ever um, taken your music and played like live venues, or are you primarily like a, a studio musician, or what they call like bedroom recorder uh, musician? <laughs> um, yeah, I I have played a few live shows. Um, I've definitely been more of a bedroom musician, but I'm moving away from that. Um, back when I was in college in San Luis Obispo, I played a brewery and a donut shop and I had a very simple setup there. It was just a acoustic guitar and, uh, my mono synth fed into a switch pedal so I could like switch between the acoustic and the synth. And then that would go into a granular delayed device thing. It's the particle red panda. If you've heard of that. Oh, cool. And then that would go into a loop pedal from there. And then I would create kind of these abstract forms and have places I want to go, you know, destinations I want to get to, but not know anything about how I'm going to get to it. And I would like eventually get to a point where I'm like, all right, here's a song. Let's flesh it out and sing with 
the guitar and stuff to it, but then it would kind of go off into space again. And I really liked that idea of where I'm just able to read the room and play to the room. And so when I, when I get back to the U.S., I plan to play more live and have more of my other elements of my music in, included, a more fleshed out form. And from there, I'll, my next music moving on should be more based on my live performances. Yeah, it's interesting. I started uh, the Ghost a couple of years ago. I played in New York. I played Boston, and I'm I'm a I'm a like a one person band, and I kind of use my synths as my stagecraft because I've I've kind of set myself up like like a Rick Wakeman, or or like like the way Genesis was. Uh, is I just have like an intimidating set of of all these analog synths <laughs> just kind of stacked up. And uh, and then I just I'm able to kind of use analog sequencers and digital sequencers and foot pedals and all kinds of things um, to to pretty much play live. Um, and I can you know, improvise, and you know, I could run off my my tape machines and then over overdub on top of them. Nice. And uh, and because you're using like analog modular modes, they kind of just kind of have the life of their own, mm-hmm. and they can. You can just alter them live, and it's kind of like I'm into that new kind of thing. If, if you've seen a lot of mo- instru- uh, experimental musicians today are using their modular synths in Berlin, and you know in Stockholm and places like in the, ne- in the Netherlands, uh, there are people who go to these clubs and they have these very uh, experimental kind of free jazz electronic shows, and you're able to kind of just do whatever you want, kind of like way DJs do, but a little bit more original like electronic music concept is that you're not just on a cdj you're actually playing your synth live Mm -hmm. which is is a really cool thing and then you know a lot of what i do is i have stagecraft you know i have a costume um like a ghost costume you see my instagram i've got this like phantom mask and the led and that kind of comes with an idea like david bowie they they asked him like why does he do what he does do what he did he said you know if you're an entertainer you kind of got to be a performer and so he created Aladdin Sane, he created Thin White Duke, he created all these characters um, because he felt like when you're doing the show, you should kind of be an entertainer. Um, so that's kind of like in the tradition of, uh, you know, like a Peter Gabriel back in early jazz, he used to go on stage with all these odd costumes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was part of the whole scene. <laughs> so have you thought about doing a stagecraft visually uh- to go with that? I see your visual stuff. Have you thought to come up with some kind of like persona that is box face bones. For me, I kind of like the idea of doing more with less. So mm-hmm. I would maybe have like a colored light shine shine at me, but I wouldn't want it to like be too crazy, you know? Like it could be like a floodlight of say purple or maybe purple switching to red or even just like a standard yellow light on me. Like um and for my setup I'm trying to go for the most with less so yeah yeah i mean yeah original prog rockers are just wearing their blue jeans and they're you know they didn't have stuff until you had guys like peter gable who dress up in like you know crazy costumes yeah they were part of the whole you know idea a big part for me is connecting with the human experience so for me for box face at least i don't want to like abstractify myself too much as a musician, because I want it to be like, I am a human just like you out there in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, a big goal of mine is to really touch the soul, you know? Yeah, that's that's a different take. You know, everybody comes into it, how they're going to present themselves in different oh, ways. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so um, yeah, you talked about that you have done some live shows. Uh, have you collaborated with any other artists? I, when you said you were in the original part of your career, you were in a band and now you're like a solo artist. Have, have you thought about just focusing on your solo box bones um, <laughs> project or, or are you thinking about like collabing? Today in music, there's a lot of um, people doing what they you know, features or, or working with multiple artists and multiple, multiple genres. Are you just trying to kind of uh, etch out your, your own you know, persona and your identity as box face bones. Uh, yeah, I I have collaborated with artists before box face. I've been in a few band things that never fully came into fruition. Oftentimes, it would seem like 
I was more dedicated to the sound that was coming out than other people. So it just never really worked out. Um, but as Boxface, I um, I um, worked with an ambient artist, Paperman, and that actually turned out really cool, but we never released it. <laughs> and I've worked with uh, Vera Sky, who's a DNB artist, and we still haven't released anything, but it was fun. It was more just like um, a path to what I'm going to do next and what they're going to do next. It's like we met in the middle and split off and did our own things. Um, I made a beat for some West Coast rapper, but he turned out to be kind of shitty, so we will not say his name here. <laughs> and um, yeah, I recently stumbled on an artist who does neoclassical. Like she did a Chopin piece with some cool future type beats added onto it. But, like she would actually play the Chopin piano bit and then add stuff to it it was really cool so we're currently talking about possibly making something happen but who knows it might just be another one of those meet in the middle split off type of things so yeah i mean as an indie musician what's cool you know i've been playing for many years like i was in bands back when i was like 17 18 and then what happens like people weren't dedicated and so i i continued to just build my studio and eventually i just said i'm just going to focus on my vision because uh, you're know, trying to get the drummer to show up, trying to get the bass player to show up on time. And like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting for people to show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be dedicated, you know, and girlfriends and wives is like, well, why are you still doing that? And I was able to kind of still keep on doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, it late in life, I got picked up by a label, you know, in the last year I got, I got assigned. So um, I just stayed dedicated because I had a vision and you never know when it's going to happen. You know, I'm in my fifties. I didn't get signed to him in my fifties, but, um, um, you just stay dedicated to what your vision is and you, you, music is kind of you do it because you're passionate about it and then when the opportunities happen like this podcast it just kind of falls into place you just do stuff you, you do what you want to do and then things kind of come to you oh yeah definitely and that's been happening more and more for me too I mean even with like my first release which was Life is Fluid I got signed to Off which is a Belgian label and they have a lot of really cool music but no no one really knows them i mean I've, I've bumped into a few people actually in tokyo they're like oh, oh that's cool i listen to their stuff all the time he has some japanese artists he has artists from all over the world um um but uh it, it hasn't like fully worked out and then i released three other projects with him uh my doors project and my intermission pieces okay. but as the intermission yeah, pieces describes it was kind of like an intermediary state whereas this next project coming out is actually like the official follow-up to my first album and now i'm kind of jumping to another label and they just recently listened to it and they're like yeah you're really good we might even try to like send you out to even higher labels and just see what happens first which was really nice and honestly if that doesn't work out i would love to just be on that label because just the fact that they did that you know is really cool yeah that's what you want you want somebody to support you and be able to have your you know be able to do what you want to do uh you know some some people today what's interesting is we got these producers that that just kind of take over your sound and they kind of just they have like a set mm -hmm. uh, own commodity. Their their sound is their commodity. And when they take your music, like you 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 send them, like I'm a experimental guy. My stuff goes like eight nine minutes most of the time. But I sent it to this one producer, and he cut it down to like two minutes. And then he threw a, like a drum beat that was like <laughs> a typical drum beat that he always uses. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like, that's not what I want. <laughs> you know you, you just kind of didn't listen to my music at all and you just put your style on top of it and then sampled my things and kind of threw them into the grid yeah uh, definitely. And, and without without like understanding what i was doing yeah and i'm like okay that's a big part for me why i, I try to do everything it's like i know my artistic vision i i've been figuring out how to master my own music and mix my own music because i know exactly what I want it to sound like, and yeah, I'm, I'm really like well, that's the cool thing about it comes out. Well, that's a good thing about a DAW is like you can take total ownership if you have are dedicated or any kind of recording council. Like if you build your own studio and you get a nice analog recording council, just being able to control your vision 
mm-hmm. I think as as a singer songwriter or, or like your own producer, I think it's really important to. You know, I know people, you know, there are people who want to be successful and they kind of give the reins over to other people to get through. And that's fine. And, they, you know, they become like, you know, less involved. Uh, they let other people kind of take the reins. But if you're kind of a, a person that's kind of really into the details and, and you know what you want to do, then I think, uh, you know, the bedroom recording and the DAWs and all the things you can do today give you the ability to be really true to your vision yeah uh, definitely i already know what i want to do and i already know what i want to do next even though it'll probably be a year before i really stick my bones into it my fingers into it but um i know like for a fact that i've just become addicted to the sound of the harmonium so i'm just like i'm gonna go figure out how to play that i'm gonna go buy a harmonium <laughs> um and i know i want to do something more spiritual almost like this next one that's coming out has a lot of like beat to it and i want something that's more floaty untethered and i'm really just trying to create something that like shows life and an acceptance of reality that's 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 cool i mean because you're you're still bringing in all these kind of like um you know, literal uh, concepts and like other art forms other than music. You know, it's kind of interesting to be able to, you know, bring in like the, the painting aspect or the illustration aspect or, or, or the literary aspect of music. Because yeah. I've always been very, very, uh, you know, like Bob Dylan in terms of, um, you know, lyricism. You know, he's like a great poet. And he just, oh, yeah. his, his, poet, his, his lyricism is more to his music than his voice i mean some people just can't get into his voice but if you get into it you get past that and you get to what what he does oh yeah it's poetry like 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 yeah or lou reed same oh i love lou reed Reed. yeah i mean i'm very much into experimental guys like that you know bob dylan was a big experiment at the time he became you know mainstream but there there's a lot of people in london didn't like what he was doing (laughs) people at the yeah, jazz festival. But that's always the best music. It's the one no one likes, right? No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, yeah. When, when he got booed, booed on off stage in London with the band when he first did, went electric, and people called him Judas and started yelling at him, like that's what you have to do. You know, if if you're an artist, you got to be willing. Even Prince, he went on stage with the Rolling Stones. He got booed off the stage. You know, and people said, "What is that?" Um, and then it became like mega big because he just had a vision. He just did what he wanted. Or the famous um, Lou Reed and Metallica collaboration album. Yeah, Lou Lou. <laughs> yeah, well, Lou, Lou is just like the Velvet. So that's I, that's a big thing for me. I mean, White Light White Heat. If you're into total experimental music. Oh yeah, Sister Ray. Yeah, Sister Ray. That's that's the kind of stuff. I I've always had a punk aesthetic. What I like to do is I love Trent Reznor because he kind of brought that back. Mm-hmm. You know, when Nirvana was around, is it the idea that in electronic music you don't just have to be melodic or atmospheric? You can be as aggressive as any punk rocker. You can be like The Clash. Yeah. You can be like The Second. You could be like, you know, Joy Division. You you can really be aggressive. You don't have to just be melodic. Um, and that's why I've always kind of taken that Lou Reed kind of punk aesthetic or the Who's Could Do a punk aesthetic, you know, Grant Hart, Bob Mould, those guys. Uh, yeah, you know, I've always been really into that. I think that gives you a little edge. Yeah, that actually brings, brings me to something interesting. I'd been listening to a lot of like old '80s and '90s punk, like Wire and Black Flag, like leading up oh, this, Black, yeah. this current incarnation of Boxface. And a big part of it, like with my sketchbook that I was writing in, was that I want to take punk and kind of modernize it you know the landscape has changed a lot from that punk and some you'll hear like so many indie punk artists doing the same thing or like a more they have the punk sound but it doesn't have the lyrical edge so yeah and like a lot of the lyrical edge from back then doesn't fit as much now i mean a lot of the oppression is still the same but it's just happening in a different form like it's happening in a very digital online form so a lot of that to me is how the obscuration of messages online and the fact that everyone now has this digital profile like what you have clicked and Mm -hmm. yeah 
So yeah, well, that's, I, that's where I like the honesty, like SS, SST, like Black Flag, who's to do before they got on Warner's, you know, who's to do had this sound is just raw, mm-hmm. you know, it is raw, but it was melodic. Oh, yeah. And so they kind of do like free form recording, you know, Zen Arcade was like recorded within like, you know, 48 hours in a warehouse, like first, second take. Mm-hmm. But that, that kind of style being that honest. And it's like some of the problem I think today with some of the modern music is overproduced. People are in their dawn doing too much key correction, too much trying to get exactly on the BPM and not realizing that some of the classic music has, you know, mistakes. Yeah, it spills yeah, over the edges. And, yeah, and it's sometimes having a key change or a rhythmic thing that's not perfect actually is the aesthetic. It is it's part of the song. Yeah, I mean, it'll stand out to you and you'll remember it and... Every time you go back to the yeah. song, you'll hear that one thing out of place. And it's not it doesn't come as a bad thing to you. It comes as something you can cherish. It's a it's a it's a great thing. I mean, that's how some of the great music got created is because they're you know they're not trying to be, you know, not that they're trying to not be perfect. You know, they're perfect within what they're trying to do, but but not letting a DAW tell them that it has to be 130 beats per minute or it has to be in this key. If you're more of a, like a sunrock guy, you you might change keys a lot. If you're a progressive band like yes, you might change rhythmic patterns and go from 120 down to 40 and then back up you know, because you're doing a different section of the song. Um, and so, yeah, I think some of the, the stuff today, what I like to tell people, like, you know, sometimes it's better just to record something with, you know, mics, mic your, mic your amp and, and, and do like a, like a field recording into a task cam or something. Go find a task cam and just record it. And, and, and feel the song yeah you can't get lost uh, in what you're trying to do but as in what is actually happening yeah i think it's just the people just I mean, honesty is the big thing i think people love punk they liked when kurt cobain came back with with um with grunge because it was honest mm-hmm. we had come through like the hair band heavy metal stage and everybody we've gone through a new wave and it was just highly produced stuff and people liked the honesty of pearl jam and soundgarden and all those bands and like Nirvana, just because it felt kind of like when the class showed up, it's like, wow, that's, that's real. You know, that's, that's something vital. Um, and I think if you, anytime you do music and you can be in the modern, you know, form, you could be a hip hop artist, like a SoundCloud hip hop artist. You could be doing something really honest. Oh yeah. definitely. You know, you, you can be on all kinds of genres. You could be EDM artist that's like mixing analog, with CDJ and doing something really interesting and having live live musicians on stage and stuff. Yeah, as long as you're you're trying to push the envelope. Yeah, I mean, great music what, what genre every genre. Yeah, great music in every genre, and you can tell what's real and what's created for something. Well, you know, like there, there's everybody wants a hit. You know, if you if you're honest, you're like, yeah, you would love your stuff to be in the top ten. But like, as an artist, what do you do to get there? No, are you able to keep 90% of your vision or is it only like 20% of your vision? Um, and you, 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 you know, that's, that's the currency. You decide what you're going to pay and what you're not going to pay. Yeah, basically don't sign to Warner, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if you want some A&R guy to tell you like, oh, sound like Britney or sound like <laughs> Beyonce or sound, sound like, you know, Matchbox 20, like th- that's what they want to do. And that's what they'll turn you into if that's what you want. Mm. Um, but you have to decide, are you going to go that way? Um, so, so what are your opinions of streaming services? Um, it's, it's, it's a bit twofold for me. I love that I can find previously hard to access music and go down this like little wormhole. I mean, I used to do the same thing with the iTunes store, but that was much less. They would just kind of like loop back on the same artists over and over again <laughs> um, but um on the other hand you have a lot of people not supporting artists financially but i don't think that is the biggest of deals because there are still those who will like if i like a record i'll buy it on vinyl i also love to find music at the record store just kind of like search and yeah see what i see what i like what stands out you'll find me among the experimental 45s <laughs> and um I guess the more problematic thing to me, less the money is the 
curated playlists a lot of the time because people like get on these like like this playlist Spotify give you artists that pay for it. So it's more yeah. just like well, yeah, the rich well, people like, getting their attention yeah. again. <laughs> it's kind of like the it's kind of like payola. You know, back in the day on the radio stations, you had they had your agents and the record labels paying the DJs to get on the radio. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's the payola thing. And, you know, it just gets into music. It's always been there. It's been there from the beginning. Um, and now it's just in the digital format. And there's all these people, you know, they're doing the bots and doing, doing these, uh, you know, pay to play. And and it's like, you know, you know, some guys, if they can get money from an alternative source, they can burst through and they might not be the greatest artist, but they have the greatest bank account. <laughs> yeah. How to find the best bot artist is they have a bunch of followers and no likes. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like okay, well, all your followers are from Kazakhstan, you know? It's like, like really? Yeah. Like, like come on, they're, they're all coming from Moscow. It's like okay, <laughs> like, like you got you got a million, ten million people from Moscow, so you're gonna get you're gonna get put on the playlist. It's like that's not real. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> um, then again, I feel like there's those that will want to break the cycle, and uh, this also opens pathways to break that cycle easier. I mean, back in the day when it was like the 70s you know if you were a small artist then you didn't have the money or the oh, yeah. opportunity yeah, I mean, they, they, screwed <laughs> but well, the labels the really keep, yeah well, the, cool, the cool thing about today is if you got the idea you have a bedroom musician whether they have analog or dog equipment they, you can build your own studio and then because you can get on the streaming services there's no gatekeeper as much as there used to be like in order to be an artist you had to get signed you had to get your advance. You had to go to a physical studio like a Sound City or Olympia or something. You had to have a producer. You had to have recording engineers. And you had to go through that studio system. And now you don't have to. Yeah. You know, and, you know, sometimes if you get big, you, you'll go, you'll, you'll sign up for it to get into the distribution to get to where you want to go. But sometimes you can, you can break that. You know, you got like Tyler, the creator. I mean, he kind of broke that. <laughs> he came out of, yeah, just being a YouTube kind of mixtape artist, doing what he wanted, create that camp vlog now, and now he's like super, super big, and he did exactly what he wanted to do, <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's you know it, it, he offended people, he made people upset, he did, but he did exactly what he wanted uh, as an indie musician. So you look at that, it's like wow, he's like he was able to kind of just do exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah, um, and that, that's kind of cool. But um, regardless of the of the, the politics behind what he, what he says, but uh, <laughs> um, hey, it's gotten uh, better, and I still love his old stuff. I mean, Bastard yeah, is great. It's and, just such an angry record. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like the fact that to me, I'm 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 always into anybody that's doing something interesting, and his use of synthesizers, which maybe people don't realize, but how much he uses like a lot of analog, like Juno 60, 106 stuff. Yeah, it's really big sounding synthesizers, like lots of oscillators. Yeah, and it's not it's not typical what you hear in rap. It's not he doesn't use the typical he has he's got more of an indie alternative rock kind of college radio vibe to to hip hop that it's not even hip hop, it's almost like indie. It's it like if you try to categorize it as just being hip hop, it really isn't. It's kind of it's more like an Indian musician that, that would have been back in the day with like the REMs and the talking heads that were he's actually doing. Yeah, definitely. It, it's not categorized, you know, you can't, it's hard to put it into a category because it's not exactly what, what it seems to be. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more. I've, I'm kind of like averted from using the word indie for so long that eventually I kind of realized, yeah, you know what? I, I'm an indie artist. I just got to accept it. <laughs> yeah. Well, back in the day, I was like a college radio you know, ours, that was like, I all I listened to was college radio. Cause that's where bands like the replacements and who's could do orange nine millimeter, all, you know, camera van Beethoven. That's where you found them. Yeah. I used to work at a college radio station. Um, and that's actually pretty informative on a lot of my influences. Um, I had started by working just like a oh, 4am to 7am shift, <laughs> but eventually I was doing like noon. <laughs> Well, to me, that, that was where, where, you know, now that you have the SoundClouds and the YouTubes and all the all the different forms that people can get, get out there uh, uh, with with uh, getting your music out. But that back in the day, the, the, if you wanted to hear something different, 
you had to listen to your local college radio mm-hmm. and they were pushing bands like REM. I mean, REM got to be where they were because the college radio loved them. Mm-hmm. You know, even like who you do, they, they were, they were kind of like, that's how they got broken. You know, that's how they got, they got out there. Uh, it's because that scene was the scene. So it's not as much today. It's more of the, the, the internet, but yeah, it's interesting where we've gone in music and uh even like like as an electronic musician there seems to be a resurgence in analog you know because analog kind of died at one point like mode went out of business tape recorder also become huge again yeah well i had a task m uh eight track or four track recorder on a cassette and that's how i used to record and now people are like, oh, that's like the new thing. I said, well, I guess I could take that out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, there's some things you can do with that. Like I said, like even I use a Zoom R24. You can use it like a task cam. Because um, you punch in and punch out and you actually, you know, have more freedom. It takes more, it takes more time. It takes more work to do because it's not on the grid. But you can just do anything you want when you're at the instrument. Yeah. Um, and it's got that nice yeah. warble, which I feel like really ups the synesthesia, at least for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's something about tape. Like I've always wanted to get a real, real traditional, like 1970s recorder, like multi-track reel to reel system. Just because if you're using a Moog, uh, and I've seen a lot of guys with Moogs, like they'll, they'll just like say, you know, you really should get a real reel. And, and and when you're playing like a Moog or a Prophet Five or something, that's kind of like the best way to capture it. Is it because the Moog has that warm sound? Yeah, it's because I have three Moogs. I have a grandmother, I have a mother, thirty-two, and a D-fam. And when I actually run it into my Tascam, it just sounds warmer. It's kind of like vinyl. It's like there is a difference. Yeah. Um, that you, that you get, and when you're using analog sense, it's kind of like I always recommend to anybody that's invested in analog is like try to go find an analog recording system. Um, because it's going to make your sound even warmer. <laughs> I mean, I love the sounds that come out of my Korg monologue. They're un- unproducible by any VST. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what people don't see. Like, people who don't have an analog, they'll say it matches and uh, like like a Moog or something. But, in t- in, okay, well, go get a real Moog or a Prophet <laughs> or a Korg and then check it. And you'll see that it, it, it never matches. Yeah, and just the analog the knobs there, it's so tactile <laughs> to just change something on the fly. Yeah, I mean, it's because like one of the coolest things with my modular modes is that you can change the whole workflow of the synth. Every time I approach my synth, I can change how it works. Yeah, that, that, you know, the grandmother. Yeah, I have a grandmother. I have a mother thirty-two, and a DFAM, and they're all got controlled voltage, and so I can just reroute everything. I mean, I can use my high pass filter or, or I, it's not in the normal workflow, the high pass filter on, on the grandmother. You have to actually put it into the workflow, but you can do all these things with the tenuverters and things that actually make negative and positive changes to your signal. And there's so many different combinations. And I've got so many of these analog devices. I've got like math utility modules to add LFOs and exponential and logarithmic control of, of your signal. There's so many different things you can do and you start getting into the depths of sound design modular sense just give you like an unbelievable palette that that you just and it's all feel. It's all dials, it's all knobs and you can get the real it's just as like tactile as anything uh, you do in music and it really gives you a lot of control. I'm a total uh, freak when it comes to that stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it, it definitely changed how i work with music so the first two albums i put out as box face I, I didn't have this synthesizer i just had my my little keyboard here and um i really like worked and worked and worked to make these like very detailed experiences like life is fluid i said was a psych punk and i tried that i kept simple instrument wise but not like detail wise and then I moved on to what's called doors, which was literally me imagining walking down a hallway, opening different doors to different soundscapes, essentially. And all the, all the songs would like flow into each other. So it was like an experience. You'd go up into space. It's like your concept of your concept album. It's like you're like, an, yeah. that's what concept album squared. Like. <laughs> yeah. um, but 
then I started my master's thesis project and I had no time for music. Um, and my girlfriend at the time who actually bought me this synth and I had this like huge explosion and we were living together and it was just really bad and I was really depressed. <laughs> and what I found was with this mono synth, I was able to create something really fast. And with this uh, granular delay added on top of that, I was able to create these pieces within an hour that were, I could play over and over and be like, wow, these are really cool. So I was able to, even with the stress of my master's thesis, working from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., still create output so it would go completely insane. <laughs> well, a lot of people I talk to about analog sense, they, 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 if you ever get a creative block, an analog sense really opens it up. Yeah. Because every time you turn on an analog sense, they, 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 they kind of show you something. You know, like Bob Moog used to say that his analog sense were kind of like, like they're like living things. He actually believed that he was tapping into some kind of universe. He has all these statements about tapping into this universal vibe. And yeah. it's kind of really weird. He's an engineer and an inventor, but he had this kind of hippie aesthetic. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm tapping into the universe and my machine's kind of like, you know, when I build these machines, I kind of feel like I'm getting guided by the universe. And, and, and that's the kind of, if you ever get into a mode, you'll, you'll feel like, wow, this thing's kind of like a living thing. Mm -hmm. It, it it changes so much and some people are like well i can't keep it stable but that's that's how you get yeah that's the idea. point <laughs> the fact that it's kind of organic and it'll go the way it wants um and then you take advantage of it you kind of don't be like really anal about it it's like you go with it like if it's showing if it's giving you something it's like whoa i can use that if you're trying to like yeah i mean if you want to control every aspect and just not have have it do exactly what you want to yeah, do digital but if you want to be kind of just able to to tap into this kind of universal thing and let it take you somewhere yeah the analog is is, is the way to go yeah um, i mean it even changed my mindset on digital so after i destroyed my music and <laughs> not destroyed but you know stripped back everything um and did this these intermission pieces um it, i felt like it like formed like the underbelly of the box face sound like this was the if you were to take everything away this is the intracellular space there's my bio talk um it's like the intracellular space between all the stuff that would later get added back on top and then as i like rebuilt myself even with adding digital back in i was doing it very differently i would take something and i would not be able to edit it i would record it and then immediately turn it into a sound file so that I couldn't edit it anymore. And then if I wanted to do anything to it, I had to edit on top of that. So a lot of the times I would just be like putting something down and then throwing like what effect I want on it and then re-recording that onto a new track. So I couldn't mess with the effects anymore. And if I wanted to do anything else, like I would have to either put a new effect or chop it up. And I don't know, I created my work yeah. completely differently in that it was very fluid, even with these like fiddly digital workstations that i was always moving and doing something new yeah what's cool you can do uh with music you know because i use the, the the um digital recorder and it's all wave files um i can actually capture an analog like pattern and it can always have it be the same because i can just have it rerun on my on my work on my um zoom oh cool and unlike like a computer the zoom doesn't crash and it doesn't ever have a problem. It's, it's a hardware machine. And the other thing that's cool about it is you, I take a, like hardware, I have a hardware Eurorack sampler from Make Noise called a Morphogene. And what you can do is you can take a sound and bring it into the sampler and it'll kind of rip it up in terms of time shifting. It can take the first minute and merge it with the second minute or the end of the tape. It can kind of do all this tape looping kind of thing. Nice. Almost like you were taking physical tape and cutting it and splicing it and throwing it all over the place. So a lot of times I'll just sample my own stuff and then run it through my morphogen and then do all this weird time shifting. And I can reinvent anything I wrote. Yeah, making sounds out of old sounds. Yeah, you can just take what you wrote and kind of do what the old school, like George Martin, they would just take the tape and take a razor blade and cut it and then splice it and put it back together. Yeah, a lot of um, times I'll pick a BPM and a key, just create a bunch of material in that BPM and key, and then just completely tear it apart. 
<laughs> to yeah, I mean, that's what people, yeah, it's a great progressive technique. I mean, Peter Gabriel used to do it all the time on the album. So they took like an acoustic drum part and they had it on tape and then they just cut it up into 99 splices and then rearranged it. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's kind of like if you're into like just being music as a palette, music as a pure music, like artist, then you start thinking like I can do anything like that you know you you totally like reinvent yourself all the time yeah you're no longer drawing stick figure people and a sun that's in the left right corner top left corner of the page (laughs) yeah you can like play with shadow vocals you know layering you know advanced composition where you're like changing you know all kinds of dynamics and just i think that just as an artist like more people who realize that you don't just have to have (laughs) <laughs> kick and beat <laughs> from some producer that used that beat on a hundred songs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it can truly really be called a song without a kick and a snare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, everybody's on their kicks and their snares. And that's cool. You know, I mean, I'm into my drum machines. Um, so yeah, I use a lot of analog drum machines because I like the analog nature of of, of of like like a DFAM is an analog drum machine. Um, and it's a little different than an 808 because it's like it's a moat. Um, but yeah, there's things you can do with music. I mean, I have an OPZ from Teenage Engineer, and that's a digital sense. So I'm not against mm-hmm. digital. I have like that, that, that thing is a pretty amazing machine. And I've got my role in digital sense. And there's a place for everything. It's like, oh, you're, you're down on digital. It's like, you take the tool you need and you use it. So I'll have stuff where I'll have like a digital sense on top of my analog to do things that the analog can't do. You know, there's things like you got, you have to do a chord, well, I got to use my Roland. If I'm going to do two finger, two-handed chords, I have to use my Roland. Yeah. Because mono, yeah, mono can't, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So it's things that atmospherically, you want to have a nice lush pad. You might have to use a, like, you know, a 16 voice digital synth to do that. Yeah. But, but, but you know, it, it, when you want a baseline or a crazy lead or something weird, the analog gives you this atmospheric stuff that you can't. Well, you can do digitally. Not that you can't do it, but maybe that it cuts through the mix. Yeah, it's less like, notice, like the background atmosphere and more like the substance. Yeah, analog. Like back in the day, there was a period. I don't know if you heard the story. Like when the Yamaha DX7 MF FM synth came, right, and it kind of knocked all the analog synths out. Like Yamaha, the DX7 actually caused Profit and Mode to go out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happened is it was a fully polyphonic digital synth and then everybody the engineers loved it because it didn't overpower the mix and then Skrillex happened yeah and so the people were just using it uh, and it just overpowered the whole industry uh, you know Roland had the D50 which is similar but um, yeah they, that, that sound kind of took analog out uh, and then people started rediscovering it but yeah it's like because, because it was the DX7 was more like harmonic, had a lot of bell like, you know, tones that had more, uh, you know, things that engineers like. If you listen to old like Yes and stuff, the, the synths are so powerful, they just cut through. Um, yeah. And they overpower the mix in some places. So if you're trying to be delicate or trying to do something different, uh, sometimes they're a little too much. And so it's yeah. kind of like knowing what you want to do. With the song. Like, I do love the sound of an FM. The FM sound. I actually, the, my favorite sound of the FM sound is like the bass in it sound of an FM. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. DXM had so many presets that were, a lot of people used just because it was hard to program. So a lot of people used the presets just like the Roland D50, the, the linear synth. Um, uh, but they had a different technology. But it was the same kind of thing. It was like PCM samples on top of PCM samples. So Roland D50s had this weird sound where it's like four parts kind of smashed together and they would have like maybe a drum part and then like a weird a little bit of a sample a small sample and it's all these it was and it was really interesting it was different than what the dx7 did and um those two machines kind of took analog out (laughs) but now we're back uh so it's like yeah using using any tool you can't find you you use a casio you can use like a cheap 99 dollar casio uh, and you can get a beat on it, and it it, it could work for your song. You yeah, get a plastic guitar like Jack White. You get like a cheap ninety nine dollar guitar, 
It kind of depends on how good a musician you are. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's it's never about the the equipment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can yeah, always you take something lo-fi, make something good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could always just like take a field recording and you know tapping on a table, breaking glass, you're, like you know doing whatever. You can do a lot of interesting stuff. So it's just kind of like as as a musician, you do what what you feel. And what the universe kind of tells you, like what Moog said, you kind of pick up these vibrations and you, the muse is out there and you kind of tap into it. Yeah. <laughs> right now, my muse is creating something that sounds like, oh, I don't know how to explain it. Like almost like if you were out in the desert and you like moved some sand and you found this record, you're like, where did this come from? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> archaic almost. That's kind of where I'm going. Like, That's cool. did aliens create this? Was it a past civilization? I don't know. But why is it talking about the present? <laughs> well, I, did, I couldn't get into your Google Drive. Maybe if you send me, like, um, a new link or something. I could actually, I don't know if you want me to, but I could take the, I, I can hear the sounds, but I can't download them. Uh, if I find a way to download one of your new songs, I can actually attach it to the episode. Um, okay. But I couldn't get it. But, so if we can try that, if you can send it again or find another way to send it. But um, uh, yeah, maybe through Google Drive or something. I uh, send it direct. Yeah, I think I know email. the song I'll send because it fits our conversation with um, both archaic, um, has a prominent mono synth and has an FM synth that I literally did nothing with, but left it as just uh, a <laughs> preset. It's not even like a pre preset, like the sound that. You haven't done just anything it. to it yet. You know, it's in the knit sound. It's like it's the initial thing that you, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and dominant, style. which is like an obscuration of uh, Egyptian time, an Egyptian key signature. So it kind of has that archaic sound to it. All right. Well, getting to the close of our show, we're going to publish this. It's going to be on 11 platforms. We'll send you the links. Um, we are um, kind of fan supported, so to let everybody know, like if this is a free podcast, it doesn't cost anything. But if you want to support us, you can click on the links and support the podcast because we interview indie artists around the world for free. And we'll put this out, and it'll be out in about an hour. And like I said, it'll be on eleven platforms, uh, including Spotify, Apple, Radio Public, Overcast, many, many more. And one of the cool things is we have the ability to click uh, create a integration with instagram so the, the spotify version of the podcast can be initially uh, can actually be linked to a highlight on your instagram um so we will do that on our three channels on instagram and we'll also publish on our facebook and blogger pages too so we look forward to talking to you about um, your music in the future we tend to bring artists on multiple times if you listen to our podcast we've had artists on multiple times to talk about their projects so Okay, when cool. you when you have a new project that's less known, we can actually do do an album release episode or something like that. Okay, yeah, sweet. Okay, thank you very much, and have a have a well. You're is it daytime or nighttime over there? It's nighttime. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, 10 p.m. I'm about to go out to the bars. <laughs> okay, well, have a great time, and uh, we'll talk to you later. And this will be out there. Like, push it to all your friends, and uh, yeah, let them know the ghost did that interview on indie artists for free. If you know other you know, other indie artists that would like to be interviewed, let us know and we'll talk to them too. Okay, yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you.